are listening to the sermon podcast of Covenant Presbyterian Church. We are a community in Madison, Wisconsin, who gathers to worship, to learn, to serve, and to grow together in God's love. Please visit us online at www.covenantmadison.org, where you can find information about Covenant Ministries, as well as links to our online worship services and sermon podcasts. So today, we've given Bibles to first graders and fourth graders, and we've launched our Sunday school for kids. So on this day when we're celebrating the Bible, it seems like it's a great opportunity for the rest of us to at least crack the Bible open. So those of you in the sanctuary here, you should be able to find a blue Bible in your pew. Let me encourage you to find it. We're going to do a little Bible study on Psalm 25 right now. So we're moving ahead with that. Let's see here. There we go. Um, and those of you at home, I hope you can find a Bible near you. And if any of you here in the sanctuary or at home, if you have an online Bible and you want to get your phone out, look up Psalm 25, feel free. Page 502 in the blue Bibles here in the sanctuary. So in the spirit of learning today, we're going to look at Psalm 25. The Psalm opens, as you heard just a couple of minutes ago, with this sense of prayerful yielding with the psalmist wanting to come before God with the sense of, I put my life in your hands, God, the sense of wanting, yearning to serve God and to be God's person. The NRSV says, to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. The common English Bible, which you can maybe see on the screen there, it says, I offer my life to you, Lord. All right? Well, the psalm continues, and in in, uh, verse 4, we hear this request for guidance, for wisdom. The person who wants to do this says, okay, now how how are we going to do this? How am I going to put my life in your hands? So make me to know your ways, O God. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. Or as the message puts it, um, the message is a paraphrase, contemporary paraphrase of Scripture. Show me how you work, God. School me in your ways. Take me by the hand, lead me down the path of truth. Now, one of the really interesting things about Psalm 25 is that it's called an acrostic psalm, and that means of the 22 verses, each one of them begins with one of the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. We lose that in translation, but it would be like a poem or a psalm beginning with the letter A in the first verse, B in the second verse. So in Hebrew, you can barely see it on the screen there, but Aleph, Beth, Gimel, um, and so forth, you know? Let's, let's say the Hebrew alphabet together. How about that? You ready? Uh, never mind. We'll let that go for today. Well, there, um, this is one of many acrostic psalms in the Bible. There are 150 psalms in the Bible, and there's a wide variety of styles of those psalms. Some of them are songs of thanksgiving. Some of them are songs of praise. Some of them are prayers of confession. Some of them are laments and pleas for help. Some of them are individual, some of them are collective. Well, Psalm 25, interestingly, combines all of them. We don't have time to go into the the whole psalm in depth. Maybe you want to spend some time with Psalm 25 this week yourself. Um, There's a lot of interesting things there. I do want to highlight one other aspect of psalms. Sometimes in psalms, the um, speaker addresses God and speaks directly to God. Second person, oh Lord, you know, um, I, I offer my life to you. And then sometimes in Psalms, 
you speak about God, talk about God. Well, Psalm 25 does both of those. The beginning and the end are directly addressed to God. The section in the middle is all about God. And one of the points that's made in the middle is about God's steadfast love, God's hesed. That's the Hebrew word, probably the most important Hebrew word in the Bible. You'll hear more about that in a couple of weeks. Um, Right in the middle of the psalm, it jumps back into direct address. And in verse 11, I think it is, um, there's a plea for forgiveness. Almost like the psalmist has recognized that they have lost their way and they're trying to get back on track. They've sort of fumbled around with life and they, they, they lost their way. They're trying to get back on track. So the, 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 the prayers that we're reading in the beginning are all about getting on track. And the psalm recognizes that somehow they've gotten lost. And then it ends with this sort of uh, conclusion at the end of the psalm, um, asking God to um, help people get back on track and stay on the path. Guard my life, O God, deliver me. Let me not be put to shame. I take refuge in you. And then the psalmist prays for everybody, saying, Redeem, O Israel, um, O God, out of all of its troubles. So we could spend a lot more time in the psalm, but that's it for our Bible study for today. But there's a lot there, um, and it's worthy of some reflection. It's a great prayer of guidance and direction as we continue in this series talking about intelligence today. Um, This series on energy, intelligence, imagination, and love. These are four gifts that I believe God offers to us that we're called to uh, cultivate and nurture in our lives, to to, to use well for, for living, much like a builder would use good blocks to build a solid foundation for for life. The inspiration for the series comes from a question that we ask at the ordination of elders, deacons, and pastors when we ask them, um, will you pray for and seek to serve the people with energy, intelligence, imagination, and love? As my conviction that these aren't just for church leaders, they're for everybody. So that's why we're focusing on them. Last week we focused on energy. I encourage you to be intentional about your charging stations, about where you get your energy and how you plug into the love of God, the power of God, the energy of God. With intelligence, I think we're asking God to make us wise. We're asking God to give us some wisdom. We're asking God to show us the way, to show us the path of life. And one obvious way to do that, which is thematically appropriate for today, is to read the Bible. On a regular basis, I and others encourage the good people of covenant, encourage myself too, to read the scriptures, to take some time on a regular basis, maybe even a daily basis, to read a little bit of scripture. Well, if you haven't read the Bible for a while, if you want to get uh, jump-started again, I've got some ideas for us today. One thought is that it's good to have a study Bible, um, if that's your thing, if you like a hard copy of a book. There are a lot of good study Bibles out there. We have several in our church library. Feel free to walk down after the service, take a look, and see if one fits you right. I'd be happy to talk to you. I'm sure Megan would be happy to talk to you about various study Bible options. Another option is to use technology. The the YouVersion Bible app and website are very, very helpful. You can read the scripture in pretty much any translation that you want. You can even read it in several different languages. You can sign up to get a notification to get a verse of the day. You can also get help with daily prayer and, and prompts and reminders to help you pray. Lots of options with the YouVersion Bible app. Highly recommend that. 
And then there's the Bible Project. Some of you who've been to adult ed classes might recognize the Bible Project. It's a um, wonderful website that has introductions to all the books of the Bible, these five or ten minute video clips. They move kind of fast. I have to watch them once or twice or three times to, to get all of it, but you end up with a wonderful drawing like this and uh, an introduction to the books of the Bible. So there's lots of ways to access the Bible and get a little bit of background about the Bible. Now, you might be asking, like, what am I going to read? What, what part of the Bible should I read? Well, that's a great question. Thanks for asking. I've got some thoughts on that for you. Um, if you want to do some Bible reading, I have two suggestions for things not to do. My humble suggestion would be to not start at the beginning and say, I'm going to read the whole Bible cover to cover, you know, this week. First off, it's a huge book, and that's a pretty intimidating book to read. And actually, it's 66 books. 39 Old Testament, 27 New Testament, different styles, different historical eras. It would be a, a, a big challenge to read it all the way through um, and maybe a little confusing for you too. Um, another thing I would suggest not doing that some people like to do is like, okay, God, uh, here it is. <laughs> that doesn't Occasionally, maybe you get some inspiration or some, some encouragement that way, but generally, I'd, I'd encourage a little more um, thoughtful approach to engaging with the scriptures. So towards that end, I've got five suggested starting points. There's, I, I could have listed 20 or 100 or whatever, but here are five in case you're thinking about reading the Bible, maybe even this week. Psalm 23. Some would say this is the best-known chapter in the Bible. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want wonderful psalm of comfort and praise reminding us that God is with us even in the valley of the shadow of death, um, offering mercy and guiding us into green pastures and still waters. Wonderful, prayerful chapter of the book to read. Another section of the Bible that's worth jumping in with is Matthew um, chapter 5, 6, and 7, collectively known as the Sermon on the Mount, a collection of the teaching of Jesus all together in one place for you. And what's fascinating, I think, about the Sermon on the Mount is the very first thing Jesus says in this collection of teaching is, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Right? And that would have been a shock to the religious leaders 2,000 years ago. The poor in spirit are going to inherit the kingdom of heaven? That's quite a surprise. So right from the get-go with Jesus' teachings, we get a sense that he's flipping things upside down and helping people see God's love in new and different ways. Another access point, if you want to read the scripture, is the book of Jonah, a little tiny book of Jonah in the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible. Um, a lot of us might be familiar with that book um, the ta you know, about Jonah in the belly of the whale. Well, that's part of the story, but really it's a fascinating account about a grumpy guy who thinks that God's love is just for him and doesn't recognize that God's love is a whole lot bigger than he expects. So Jonah's worth, worth a second look for you if, you've, uh, you, know, if you just think about it as a whale tale. <clears throat> One of the best chapters in the Bible, as far as I'm concerned, is Romans chapter 12, sort of a conclusion. Paul's arguing through the book of Romans about what's being saved by grace through faith means, and he gets to chapter 12 and says, therefore, um, and he encourages people to be transformed by the renewing of their minds, to weep with those who weep, to rejoice with those who rejoice. And then the chapter concludes with what I think is a wonderful admonition for living in our world today, to not be overcome by evil, but to overcome evil with good. 
the good that comes from knowing that we are God's people. So um, Romans 12, great option. That's probably the short, well, Psalm 23 and Romans 12 are probably the shortest. If you're looking for the, the quick, quick and easy version, I'd go for them. Luke chapter 15 is another great option. Some call it the lost and found chapter, where Jesus talks about a lost coin, a lost sheep, and a lost couple of sons. Um, the parable of the prodigal son is in the middle of that chapter. So great opportunities, really reading the whole gospel according to uh, Luke or any of the gospels, that would, be, that would be a good challenge and a good opportunity as well. So lots of great ways to, to read scripture. And I've got one bonus for you. Um, one bonus way, which I think would be really helpful, is that we try hard to provide for you the scripture passages for upcoming Sundays. And I think it's helpful to read the scripture verse before you come to worship, to at least get your mind thinking a little bit about what's going on. So next Sunday, Megan is preaching on Isaiah chapter 43, verse 19. It's printed in your bulletin. Wouldn't it be great if a lot of us spent at least 30 seconds or more reading that verse and thinking, okay, God, what are you going to teach me? What are you going to show me with this verse from scripture? So you can do that next Sunday or any Sunday. Lots of great opportunities to learn. Now, as for Bible study, I am a big fan of Bible study. I'm a big fan of the reality that there's a lot in this book that's confusing, and we need to sit down and we need to study it. We need to learn it. We need to learn about the Greek and the Hebrew and the original meanings there, the culture, the history, the context, all of that stuff. It's really, really important, and it helps us understand what the Bible says. That said, sometimes we get a little too analytical and scholarly, with our Bible study, especially, hypothetically, in a university town with lots of scholarly and analytical people, (laughs) right? So we do our Bible study. It's really important to do that. And we we read the commentaries, and we read our study Bibles, and and we learn. But I think real intelligence is recognizing that what's behind all of that is that God's trying to speak to us somehow. Sometimes I think the Bible study and trying to get to the, 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 the analysis and the scholarship, it becomes a roadblock, and we don't, we're not hearing what God's saying in the text, right? So sometimes with Bible study, there comes a point where we just say, I'm not sure, but what's God saying to us here, right? Listening to God speak to us. The Bible is God's word to comfort us, challenge us, help us, lead us, all that. So Billy Collins is a poet. He served as U.S. Poet Laureate two times. And he's got this wonderful poem called Introduction to Poetry. It's one of my favorite poems. And I think he wrote it um, out of a sense of maybe exasperation with students who were trying to overanalyze poems. I almost get the sense of him sharing it in the faculty lounge with other professors about students who are just trying so hard to study. And more importantly, I think of it, I hear this poem that I'm going to read for you in just a second, I think of it in terms of how we can engage with Scripture um, and not get too hung up on the scholarship of it. The poem goes like this. Billy Collins. I ask them to take a poem and hold it up to the light like a color slide or press an ear against its hive. I say, drop a mouse into a poem and watch him probe his way out or walk inside the poem's room and feel the walls for a light switch. I want them to water ski across the surface of a poem, waving at the author's name on the shore. But all they want to do is tie the poem to a chair with a rope and torture a confession out of it. (laughs) 
they begin beating it with a hose to find out what it really means. Sometimes, with our Bible study, we tie the Bible in a chair and try to torture a confession out of it instead of just letting it speak and letting it water ski across the surface and holding it up to a light and saying, God, what are you saying here? So let's look again at verse 4 and 5 of Psalm 25. Maybe this is a prayer for you this week. Make me to know your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth. And teach me. Maybe you want to spend some time reflecting on all of Psalm 25. There's a lot in there. This is what we try to do here at Covenant, in essence, asking God, make us to know your ways, guide us in the path of life. We talk about it in terms of learning God's love and then living God's love. We come together, gather as, as, as a people here in this place or in Bible study or small groups or whatever, and we try to learn who we are, what it means to be God's people. And then we try to figure out, okay, what difference is that going to make? How am I going to change my life based on what I've learned about God and God's love and God's call? It's almost as if when we walk into church or walk into a new day, we could say, what am I going to learn today? And then as we're leaving church or as we're launching into the new day, we could say, how am I going to live today? How am I going to be different today? To me, this is what Christian intelligence is all about. We learn that we're beloved children of God. We learn that we're called and claimed and forgiven. We learn that Jesus came to start something new and invited us to follow along. And then by the power of the Spirit, we're sent out to do what we can to continue what Jesus began. Remember, he was known as a rabbi, as a teacher. And we're called disciples. And that means student. A disciple is a student, one who's constantly learning each and every day. So every Friday, we send out a connections email with a little bit of information, a little bit of inspiration. This week, I wrote in the connections email about three partners that we have. And by the way, if you're not getting this email and would like to get it, contact the church office or you can sign up on our webpage as well. So I wrote about three partners that I had interaction with over this past week. I'm really grateful for the people that we connect with at this church. And then after the fact, I realized that they're all education-related, they're all school-related, they're all learning-related. We, we had interaction with uh, Glenn Stevens Elementary School. We had interaction with Press House down at the University of Wisconsin campus. And we had interaction with the University of Dubuque Theological Seminary. How providential was that to have these, these interactions on the day when we're talking about learning? That's, that's because that's what this church is about. We're about learning. We take learning seriously. We are smart people. We're thoughtful people. We ask questions. We want to learn about life. We want to learn about ourselves. We want to learn about God. So we do that together. We need to recommit over and over to doing that. And part of the process means, final point for the day, that we need to recognize that sometimes... We don't know everything, and sometimes we need to unlearn what we've learned. We need to have a little humility in our learning. For a very long time, most Presbyterians were perfectly okay with slavery, thinking, well, it's in the Bible, so it must be okay. Most white Presbyterians, let me clarify, were perfectly okay with slavery for a long time because they thought it's in the Bible. So, a 
Presbyterian pastor and professor by the name of William Yu has written a fascinating book called What Kind of Christianity? A History of Slavery and Anti-Black Racism in the Presbyterian Church. And it's a hard book to read because it kind of bursts the bubble that we Presbyterians like to think that we were so enlightened. But he shows example after example of how many Presbyterians were advocates for slavery, making a very strong case that it was God's will. So he invites us to acknowledge that collectively and to come to some sort of thoughtful reckoning of our past and figure out what that means for us today. He's actually going to be here in the sanctuary on Sunday, October 1st, um, thanks to the initiative of some people in our, our church who are wrestling and reading with, uh, about racial issues. So mark your calendars. Three weeks from today, he'll be preaching and teaching and speaking at Press House, as a matter of fact. So part of the intelligence that we're called to nurture is the awareness that we might be wrong, that we might have to change our minds. Remember the word repentance means not to say, oh, I feel bad, I'm a miserable person. It means to change your mind or to change your direction. <clears throat> well, thank goodness <clears throat> a majority of Presbyterians eventually changed their minds about slavery. Thank goodness a majority of Presbyterians eventually changed their mind that women could be ordained as elders, deacons, and pastors. Thank goodness a majority of Presbyterians changed their minds that LGBTQ people should be welcomed in church and in life and in the world, and they're as valuable to God as anybody else. See, the thing is, an intelligent person has to be able to recognize that they might be wrong about something. Maybe us, as smart as we are, there might be things that we're wrong about. So I think we have to have this posture of humility with our intelligence. An intelligent Christian takes the prayer of confession that we do in worship every Sunday, takes that prayer seriously, comes before God and says, teach me, God, show me your ways. If I have gone astray, show me. And then really listens and waits and is open to being changed, to being transformed, to being redirected. Sometimes that's just a little redirection. Sometimes it's, whoa, I got to make a big change. But that's what an intelligent person does. And finally, an intelligent person is open to learning something new every single day. I want to close today by talking about one of the most wonderful human beings in the world. His name is Art Frank, Arthur Frank. He died earlier this year at the age of 103. And I was lucky enough to grow up in West Hartford, Connecticut with Mr. and Mrs. Frank as our neighbors. Absolutely delightful, kind, gracious, warm, wonderful people. I remember one night, I think it was in my 20s, I showed up on their doorstep unannounced because I'd locked myself out of the house and they had an extra key. And here's this couple, they're in their 80s at this point. They had just sat together at their cozy little kitchen table having dinner together and they're sitting at the table now playing cards together. I'm like, be still my heart, that's just beautiful. 80 years old and they're sitting there smiling and playing cards, just kind, gracious, wonderful people. Well, she died several years ago and I got to see Mr. Frank last year, right around this time. I was back in Connecticut for a high school reunion and I stopped by to say hello because he's such an awesome person. His 102-year-old body was maybe a little frail, but his mind was sharp, his smile was warm and engaging. We sat down and had a wonderful conversation together. We talked about um, our families, we talked about the old neighborhood, we talked about you know, all, the, all, the, all the stories, all the reminiscing, all that good stuff. And then he, he sort of paused and he leaned over the table and he asked me a question that I really, really appreciate. He said, Charlie, 
what are you learning these days? And I thought, wow. Here's this guy, he's 102, and he wants to learn some more. And he asked me more questions about church and about God and about leadership and all those sorts of things. We had a fascinating conversation, and I'm just so grateful for this example of a decent, kind, warm, loving human being who wants to keep learning and keep caring for other people in his, in his, in his life. Jesus Christ came into this world proclaiming a new reality, the kingdom of God, the realm of God, with the hope that we would learn, that we would turn around and follow and change our minds and change our ways and live as new people. For Christians, this means we read the Bible, we study the Bible, we sing, we pray. For, Christ, for us as Christians, it means we need to reflect and discuss on the issues of the day and the situations in the world and our own lives and our own families and everything. And for us, it also means that we have to be open to learning new things so that we can really grow in faith, hope, and love as followers of Jesus. So what are you learning these days? Amen.